Legacy Stories is about immigrants knowing that they're not alone. Legacy Stories is about remembering and honoring where we came from. Legacy Stories is about other people learning about us from our stories. Legacy Stories is about healing generational trauma in community to help us dream bigger and live as ourselves. That is Legacy Stories. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Legacy Stories. This is Maria here today, and Kua is not able to attend this recording. However, we'll have her in some of other episodes. So today I have a special guest, and I can't wait to hear her story because I think we kind of overlap a little bit in some things. I'm excited to hear this version. Her name is Joyce. Hi, Joyce. Hi, Maria. Can you tell us something kind of, can you give us a brief introduction of who you are and where you are right now, what you're doing right now? Okay, sure. Thank you. Um, so my name is Joyce. I'm a women's trauma coach. Um, I'm currently based in Sydney, Australia, and uh, I'm originally from Malaysia. Wow. I've never had anybody from there. So this is new. <laughs> Yay! Yay! <laughs> yeah, I really want to ask how do you become a women's trauma coach, but we'll get there. So, yep. how did you end up where you are right now? How, what is your immigrant story? Uh, it's quite a long story. Um, so, I first moved to um, Australia when I was 18 as an international student. Um, so it is not uncommon for people from my part of the world to uh, move to Australia or other parts of the world to pursue um, higher education. So I moved over and um, I was actually, origi I originally moved to Melbourne. That was where I went to uni. Yeah, and uh, I did uni there for about six years. And then after graduation, I did go back to Malaysia for a couple of years to work. And at that time, it was because um, it was really difficult to get permanent residency in Australia um, with the qualification I had. Um, but because I always felt like I was a little bit of a culture misfit back home. Um, so I was always looking for opportunities to come back to Australia um, to work. And um, well, very, uh, very fortunate uh, for me is that I then managed to get a transfer um, to Sydney. And yeah, and that's the story basically. I've been here for 10 years now, actually. Wow. Uh, now, I have questions, but I also came, I came to US as an international student and my journey was also six years at the university mm. and I apologize if you guys can hear my kids. <laughs> Somehow they managed to get in the house. <laughs> um, but my story is interesting because U.S. is very strict about international students and the rules. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know how it is in Australia, but they're so many rules I just remember I felt like I was walking on eggshells all the time because it's like you can't do this you can't do this you can't do this you can't do this and it's like well if I breathe am I going to break any rules that's how like there was moments where I was just under I felt under so much pressure that yeah, okay. was like what is happening there was a lot of like rules and that's not what I grew up in <laughs> so like maybe it was normal for U.S. people or some more structured but I grew up in a war so for me it was like dear god what is it with these rules so how did yeah. you how was how how is it in Australia for international how was it for international students um so what kind of rules are you referring to if you don't mind me okay asking. so the rule is like you had to um you had to have insurances you oh. could not work anywhere outside of campus. You could only work specific number of hours on campus. You had to take specific number of classes. You had to, um, I don't know. There was all of these 
I just remember there was so maybe it's not so much now when I look at it because I've been here for a while, so I'm used to the rules. I just remember how, like when they gave me the rules, the presentation lasted really long, and I'm like, oh, I can't do anything here. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, you could not leave the country without like special notices. You could not like travel like even to Canada if you wanted to. You could not like there was all of these legal rules, and then there was like the university rules, and there was. It was a lot of rules. That does sound really overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, um, for me, there were a few rules like that. Like we could only work, I think, twenty hours at that time as a student. And uh, but I think what really scared me was probably um, the road rules. Um, driving, driving is a lot stricter here in Australia than back home. Um, yeah, and the fine here is way, is very hefty in comparison as well. So it's not something you want to like accidentally uh, cross the line with. Um, yeah, but apart from that, I think um, I I think well for me, I just kind of stayed within the boundaries of university. So like I think I was always playing it safe. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Now, you said a culture misfit. What do you mean by culture misfit? Uh, so, um, growing, I think, all right, maybe I need to tell the story about how I felt culturally when I first came to Australia. Mm -hmm. So, um, back home in Malaysia, um, being Asian, being Chinese, I was raised with the mindset of like, um, I need to be quiet, I need to be obedient. I pretty much fit into the whole good girl image. Wait, I'm like, is that for everybody who's that nationality or is it just girls? Or oh. <laughs> um, girls, yes. Girls were, I well, girls were um, taught to be more quiet and obedient and being quiet and good and in the background is seen as a really good thing. I remember um, actually getting compliments from my uh, friend's parents that, oh, you know, Joyce is such a good girl. And uh, I didn't really understand why then, but now I realize what it meant. It meant that I would, you know, keep to myself and be really quiet um, and not like, you know, make too much noise and all that. Um, so coming from that background and thinking that that was a good thing, I was in for such a shock when I entered uni and not just uni, but uni in a country where being assertive, being opinionated um, was actually celebrated. Um, <laughs> so um, yeah, when I first got to uni and I was also doing an arts degree, which, you know, whereby you're encouraged to have an opinion. That's what being, you know, an art student is all about, having a different opinion. Um, and so I really struggle in class. I struggled to speak up. I struggled to have an opinion because I was always taught to just obey and comply with what everyone else said. Um, yeah, and so as a result of that, I really struggled and started to develop social anxiety. Yeah, um, it got to the extent that I would avoid classes um, because it would just scare me to have to speak up because um, back then when we were in tutorial classes we would go in circles where we all need to share say you know our own opinions of our the readings for the week or whatever it is and I would just be freaking out um, until it was my turn um, and even then I would like say something just to get through it like have say the most the least amount of words just so it's not my turn anymore um yeah wow it sounds uncomfortable yeah it sounds like like an experience that that's uncomfortable and it sounds yeah, a little bit a little bit familiar um mm. for me it sounds a little familiar because I was loud and I was considered too much in my culture yeah. I wasn't nice and quiet so much like I was nice but I was not quiet I was a little over the top mm. <laughs> so for me that part worked but the part that did not work that I'm like really relating with you right now is like hmm like the part where you get it right you're supposed to get it right 
right? You're supposed to be like good, nice, and people are supposed to like you. And that only happens if you get it right. You have to say the right thing, which really makes you want to stay quiet because you have no clue what the right thing is. Oh, yeah. I mean, talking about why I became that way, right? Like why I became this reserved, quiet girl, it was actually because of something similar to what you're saying. It's because of that expectation of, when you open your mouth, you have to say the right thing. If you say the wrong thing, you get scolded, you get punished or humiliated. And so eventually you either learn to very quickly pick up what the right thing is, or you learn to keep quiet because it's safer. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> now, <laughs> very familiar culturally. It's interesting how this keeps happening. We keep interviewing people and these overlaps happen between cultures where it's like oh that's very familiar and the culture is like on the other end of the on the other side of the world and it's like oh look how it's actually still the same funny yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's really not funny because you know um it has its origins it has its yeah. origins but um, yes yes yeah yes so for sure. how did you yeah. get out of that out of um social anxiety how did you, is that how you ended up being a trauma coach, which is what I really want to know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is part of the reason. So um, truth is during uni, I didn't really get out of it. Um, I just learned to cope with it. Like, you know, I learned to avoid classes or speaking up or I just kind of stuck to my safe group of friends and I was able to be myself within that group. But beyond that, it was very scary for me. Um, and then I went home to Malaysia to work, which was actually a good thing for me in hindsight, because it was a time for me to build my confidence because I didn't have to overcome the, um, the social part of it because I wasn't as uh, afraid when I was within my own culture. Like, you know, I wasn't afraid about, you know, uh, not speaking English as, you know, fluently as everyone else or not understanding the slangs and that uh, not being able to do small talk. Like when I was within my own culture, there was basically less of an issue. And so I could focus on just doing my job properly, which then helped me build my confidence. And so from there, when I moved to Sydney, at least I, I've already got the job part down packed and then now I need to overcome the social part of it. So when I came back to Sydney, I did have those issues all over again but maybe to a lesser extent, because now I feel like I have a job to do, in, you know. Um, but yes, socially, I still kind of struggle to mingle, still struggle to have small talk. Um, and, and I remember my uh, boss at the time even said to me, like, why can't you just speak up? Because I think I had this fear of like, especially if it's with strangers, um, like, I don't know what to say because I don't know this person well. Like, I don't know how they're going to receive it. What if they, you know, get upset with what I say? And so I just really immediately clamp up usually when I'm around people. And that's obviously not a very good thing when you're in the context of work. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, and how did I eventually end up as a trauma coach? I got interested in the subconscious mind. And when I got interested in it, I got interested from a perspective of performance. Like I wanted to up my performance by um, reprogramming my subconscious mind. And um, eventually I found a modality, which is the one I practice right now, that um, helps reprogram the subconscious mind. And when I went into it, I didn't actually have an expectation of what benefits I'll actually get from it. Um, but anyway, I tried it. And the thing that went away from me was actually social anxiety, which is kind of bizarre. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, yeah. Um, I want to know more about that, but I really want to talk about something that I actually spent a whole weekend in a master class talking about socialization and intersectional feminism and a lot of stuff that kind of now is like, you know, right after all of that, it kind of rings in my bells, my rings my bells a little louder. Like in my head, it's like I hear it and like, oh. That's it. And it totally makes sense. People that are in cultures where it's open and outgoing and it's acceptable 
especially for men, it's very like they don't understand why, but for us, we have been socialized in our cultures to be quiet or to know exactly the right thing to say. So the part of the socialization that you go through is to figure it out really fast. And then it's kind of becomes a survival mechanism. And, and it's not it's not easy to get rid of. It's not like, sure, let me just go talk to people. It's like, no, you're like feeling like you're dying partially. You, it's not, it's not, and it, people come off many times as arrogant, I know, I, because, and it's like, no, they're not arrogant. They're just very uncomfortable inside themselves. It has nothing to do with you. Yeah, yeah, it's a protective mechanism. Yeah, for sure. Tell me more about who do you help? Who do you work with? Um, I help women, um, but I help women with low self-esteem generally because most of these kinds of symptoms, it comes from a perspective, a place where they just don't feel good enough about themselves, you know? And so we have all these coping mechanisms that we lay on top of ourselves um, and present ourselves a certain way. But ultimately, deep down, it is actually that fear of just being ourselves. Um, but I wanted to touch on what you said earlier, like the socialization and how like we always people always think that you can just say to somebody, you know, speak up or, you know, whatever is it. They, people think that you can just take an action and overcome that socialization. But um, that is not true. And. Um, based on what I know and how, because I um, work with trauma specifically, a lot of these things, a lot of our experience during our socialization period is actually experiences that lives in our body. So for example, just talking about myself, I know whenever I was with, with strangers, I would freeze. I would go into a freeze state. And back then I didn't understand any of this. I used to also beat myself up and be like, why can't I just speak up? Like, why, you know, why can't I just tell myself that actually it's safe, you know, everyone's friendly. Why can't I just say something? Um, but the thing is the body remembers the trauma and the trauma is, for example, when I was a kid, maybe I, I you know, just was myself and I spoke up and I was humiliated or I was scolded. And those memories live in our body. So even though we don't consciously remember it, our body remembers and that's why we are trapped in that state like we can't just take an action and tell ourselves to do it i i fully resonate with all of that i have started working with a trauma coach um last year we started working together and you know i've done a lot of work and then taken a break and gone back to it because it's just so much and for me, the, the understanding, I've listened to a lot of work of Dr. Gabor Mate, and some of it resonates and some of it being like a mindset coach, some of it's like, like I, I can't take it, right? But the part that resonates, it's like trauma is not necessarily like the event that happened. Traumas, if it's too much or too intense or too soon, or like it's too much for your nervous system, you can't handle it. And it could be just like, a bunch of kids laughing at you. That could be traumatic. And for me to understand that, like, because for me, everybody kept saying, oh, you must have trauma from the war. And I was like, no, really, I don't really remember the war, which also is a sign of trauma. Now I know that part too. But the thing is, I didn't think I had trauma from the war, but I could not understand some of the patterns that were going on. And then to understand that actually trauma isn't like, oh my God, this horrible thing happened to you. Like, you know, nothing, nobody, I didn't, I was not abused. I was not bullied. I was not like, I had a decent, nice childhood. My parents loved me. I'm like, no, I was not traumatic. But then to realize that it's just like small events that can affect us and that our body stores that because it was too much for us and we could not cope. It's like, okay, then I don't even have to know which events were there. But the fact is some things happen to all of us that yeah. we're not ready for and it just our body will store them and the fact is to understand how to release that later to figure out what works for you to heal that to release that yeah so, that's you know, right. it doesn't you don't stay trapped within it 
And many times those events cause habits and patterns that we have of behavior and resolving that resolves those habits and patterns and they can't be resolved any other way. So it's many times the things that we do and we, we keep trying to fix them logically or change them and we can't. And it's like, oh my God, why can't I change that? It's so frustrating. It's like, yes, it's yes, not, that's right. you're not like, you're fixing it on a different level. Many times yes. we want to fix it on a mind level and it's actually the body level, the releasing of the emotion, the, and it's such a deep and meaningful work. Yeah. But what I've found, and you know this with your clients and yourself, having a coach who you trust with this kind of work, I feel I could do mindset coaching with a lot of people. Doing trauma coaching is like, I need to trust you to hold me because I'm going to fall and you got to catch me. Yeah, like yeah. you really have to have trust. So I'm like, tell me more. How do, have, have you had any experience working actually with any immigrant women or any people from different cultures or? Mm, yes, I have actually, because in Australia itself, we are very multicultural. Um, yeah. And I think a bit like what you said earlier, we might all have different cultures, but we all kind of have a very similar story underlying it. Like a lot of our traumas are, yeah, I would say they're quite similar. Um, I think a lot of immigrants, we have parents who struggle or their priorities to provide. Um, their mindset is that um, what's important is you have food to eat, you know, you have a safe home. Um, you don't hopefully you don't have to worry about finance finances and that is considered like gold star that is the goal mm -hmm. for our parents generation and so as a result I guess uh, like when it comes to emotional attunement and things like that a lot of that was not taught and so you obviously have a whole generation of people like us where you know emotionally we were po possibly neglected um, and then we we suffered the consequences of uh, our parents' lack of emotional regulation. Um, yeah, so I think in that sense, a lot of us actually have very similar trauma. Yes, and the key to digging it up, to not transfer it, is, is gold. I thought that I did a lot of my work and I was ready to have kids and then I had kids. So everything, that I, as a kid, I think experience, experienced is coming up yeah. with my own kids. And it's yes. so weird because I cannot react differently than how my parents parented me. I, I am literally, I was fighting so hard to parent my kids differently. Yes. And it's a losing fight because you parent how they parented you. It's so ingrained in your nervous system that it's, it's not even like I practice neutral thoughts. I practice thinking specific thoughts on purpose. I practice neutralizing. For, for me, it's yelling. And what really does not help is when we're immigrants and we live in a culture that's different from ours. Back home, it's totally normal that parent can be strict with their child. It's totally normal to yell at your child, right? It is totally normal to get spanked once in a while. It doesn't, it's like, it's not abuse. You're not being beaten. You get spanked, like you do stupid shit and you get spanked. We all did. There's nobody back home who's like, my parents never spanked. It's like, yeah. And you know, the fact is your parents got spanked, not at home only, but by their grandparents and by their teachers and by whoever the heck was an adult and thought they were doing something wrong. Our parents were spanked by them. So they were parented by everybody, but then they managed to just parent their own kids. And for them, that's a success. They're thinking they did a great job. And I think generational gap, yeah, they did well compared to what they've gone through. But now it's up to us where we're like, I don't really want to spank my kids. Yet, like, I'll be like, bump. And in this culture, that's big no-no. Like how, yeah. like that's considered like almost abuse that's, that's like a, such a different story. And then you feel so much guilt about it. So much shame until you dig and you're like, why am I doing this? Until you understand it's like, I'm not doing this because I'm doing it. I'm just repeating 
yeah. what was done because your nervous system that's how it remembers it and until you yeah. release it yeah. and you're able to be okay it's almost like you have to be okay parenting that way to be able to release it because if you have that shame you can't release it yes for sure you need to accept that that is part of you unfortunately that is just part of our history and um, it is a journey for us to heal like we need to be kind and compassionate to ourselves for you know where we are currently at the thing is in every relationship and it's all our relationships are basically a mirror of you know our issues and children they definitely bring out a different level oh my of god yeah. <laughs> so, they're like the hope- biggest teachers yeah you tell me stop go have a kid <laughs> go spend some time with your mother or go have a kid that's your option yes. Like, even for me, I don't have children at the moment, but I can just imagine, even though I've done so much work on myself, I, in a way, there's a part of me that doesn't look forward to having kids because I know it's going to, you know, open up a whole new level of things that I need to work on. Um, Yeah. But the thing about trauma is the sort of the behaviors that uh, come about as a result of trauma, they come when you least expect it, like when you're you know, emotionally charged when you don't have self-control. And yeah, like that's that's the reason we need to work on ourselves is because it's it's not like we can so conveniently consciously tell ourselves not to behave that way. It comes up when we least expect it, you know, when we have our guards down. Yeah, when you're tired, because I know mm. I've worked through all of this. <laughs> I'm like, if I my kid can behave... I knew something was off when my kid can behave the same way and I will react differently. I'm like, it's not the kid. Please don't tell me my kid is doing something wrong because this kid does the same darn thing all the time. It's a habit. And that's like, and they're not supposed to be doing it and they know it, but they keep doing it. And for me, it's only trigger if I am tired, if I'm exhausted, if mm-hmm. I'm thinking, I don't want to freaking be here. I just want to yeah. like lay on the floor, leave me alone. And I have to parent, right? Like you yeah. feel like, and, and that's when you, that guard is down, as you said. And it's just like, whoosh, the yelling, comes. <laughs> the storm comes. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it just, it's a very, very interesting. And see for my mom or for any of my friends, that's not a bad thing though. Being back home. It's like, oh, well, I yell at my kids. Yeah, how oh, I yell at my kids. They did this stupid. Da, 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 da. And for me, being here and not having this work, I think it would be, it would be very, very, very bad because I would feel so much shame that would be mm-hmm. brought on by this, um, the education system that teaches kids that it's, you know, it's not a, don't let people yell at you. Uh, that's mm. abuse don't let people spend like it's kind of like you know kids yeah. are taught at school literally that these things are bad and you come from a culture that that's normal yes. and you feel so much shame about it and then you know yes. if you don't have yeah. something to rely on you're gonna go a little crazy yes that's yes. that's how I feel about my situation that's probably not everybody I can understand that, the shame though. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I hope, I, I don't know how other parents cope with that. Um, yeah. Because I'm sure you're not the only one. There's so many people from different cultural backgrounds and this is quite the norm, I would say. Yeah. Well, I met somebody, I met a friend um, recently and she's, she was talking about her sister and how she spoiled her kid and she doesn't spank her and she doesn't yell at her. And she's like, what is wrong with her? That kid is just spoiled. And I'm like, okay, so you were not socialized into like all of this. You're still in the same cultural mentality where to you, it's wrong that she's actually not doing these things. And I think it's just like what you're exposed to. If you're not exposed to that almost uh, American educational system or like like their standards if you don't go that deep then you kind of stay within your culture and you're kind of like no this is the normal stuff what are you talking about yeah. how the heck am I going to parent my kid differently <laughs> this is all I know right yes. but if you're the one that's like oh let me parent whatever 
according yes. to the books or according to whatever the Americans do, according to psychologists. It gets messy. It is hard work. I mean, it is, I think it is a lot more comfortable to stay within what's familiar, like, you know, repeat what our parents have done. Like that way, none of your beliefs get challenged. Like you don't feel like you need to work on yourself. Like that's such a convenient way to think, isn't it? But yeah, well, it is hard work, definitely. But um, I think there, it is a blessing that our generation gets the opportunity to be exposed to um, this work, this knowledge about trauma. And, um, but we do need to make the hard choice of whether we want to you know, go on this journey of doing the work on, our, on ourselves. And, you know, you, you can go from this, but that journey, it's not fun or easy. Like you no. feel better, you do feel better, but it's not fun or easy. It is not fun or easy, but at the same time, I think at the beginning when you haven't seen results yet, yes, I think it's a lot harder because you're a bit like, why am I doing this? But I think once you're able to see the results, like once you're able to start differentiating, um, you become aware of your own patterns and start to take ownership of it and become aware of when other people are doing their patterns, you know, I feel like that awareness actually unlocks a lot of wisdom. And um, I don't know about you, but I feel like when I started to understand that, I started to not take things so personally. I started to be able to draw boundaries better. I started to be able to see like what is my emotional responsibility and what is someone else's. Like, I feel like before learning about all this, the lines are so blurred. Like, I'm so easily um, pressured into, you know, pleasing other people, uh, pressured into doing things based on cultural norms, you know, um, doubting myself. Um, yeah. And so I feel like it does get to a point where you realize um, you know, what is actually your, what is within your boundaries? What, what belongs to you and what belongs to other people? And you don't have to take on what belongs to other people. That's a very good view on boundaries. You know, being an immigrant, I always tell people that we don't have boundaries. Like oh, within yeah. your family, within our culture, there's no boundaries. And I find this, is it with your culture too? Um, yes, depending on the family. I have met okay. a lot of families like that. Yeah. yeah, there's no boundaries. Literally cultural boundaries. People can come up and ask you anything and there's no like there's no boundaries. People yeah. just and all this talk about boundaries until I figured out my own definition how it works for me was very confusing. I was like, mm. what are you talking about? You just tell yeah. people stuff and it's like it's none of your like it did not, it took me years. I'm like, you don't get it. We have no boundaries. I can't tell that to my mother. Like, are you crazy? Like, it's not like she's going to smack me or something now, but it's still like, you just don't tell that shit to your mother. You don't do that. Like, that's like very disrespectful. But all this talk about how like in family and like, you don't, do, not doing stuff for people and not being nice, not helping. It's like, what are you talking about people? I could not invent on these US people, yeah. but I like your definition of boundaries. It's very like, this is mine and this is yours. Yeah. Because what it felt for the longest time for me here is like, I draw the line. I won't do this for you, da, 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 da. And then later I too realized that um, through my learning of, you know, feminism and all of that. And my teacher was very like, how she explained it, how I understood it was like, no, the boundary is not for them. The boundary is for me. Yeah, It's there for me to be like, hey, this is what I do. It has yeah. nothing to do to them. And I thought boundaries were used to like, you know, if I do this, da, 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 you do this. Or like, <laughs> yeah. you know, it yeah. felt like blackmail. Yes, <laughs> yes. And that's yes. not a boundary. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think um, when I think this is very common when you first start to set boundaries, it can feel so like you're being rude or you're being mean. As like especially coming from a culture where you know setting boundaries and saying no to other people or especially the elders is such a big no no. Um, but yeah, I I think for me, it always I always have to check with myself. Is this coming from a place of self-love and self-protection? Is it coming from a place of authenticity? If it's yes, then I go ahead with it because I know where I'm coming from. Like I and I obviously have to check, like, is it coming from a place of wanting to punish the other person or taking revenge? Like, you know, I don't, yeah. So that's the check I do with myself. <laughs> okay. So I want to give example of boundaries. Um, do you mind sharing some example of like what would be a boundary for you, for example? Mm. And I'm also trying to think of something <laughs> like, wait, what is it? <laughs> um. Let me think. Um, I think one of the things that are quite what's quite common is um, emotional manipulation. Um, so especially with elders in the family, they would, they would be like, you know, I'm really angry about this thing. And they would throw a tantrum and they basically come to you expecting you to do what they want them to, what, you know, they want you to do so that they won't be angry. <laughs> so I think in those instances, I have learned that mm, your emotion is your problem. Um, and I'm not going to subject myself to that manipulation. But I guess you obviously can't say that to them, but oh, you, know, yeah. you better uh, not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think in those instances, I would tell them, okay, you're really emotional right now. Let's, why don't you calm down and then we can talk about it. But ultimately, I will know that when someone behaves like that, it's not my job to, you know, do something to make them calm down. Like, I think in instances where you know that you can't directly say something to them and educate them about boundaries, you can at least preserve your own um, sort of boundaries in a sense that you don't let it emotionally be your problem. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes. Yes. My Mine was always like, um, I don't mind doing this, except sometimes... Um, well, now it's harder. When I was younger, whoever needed any help, and if they would ask me, and if I knew how to do something or knew something, I never minded helping people. The thing is, as the kids start rolling, and I have three, there's more on your plate. There's more people you're taking care of. So for me right now, it's like when people ask me for help, there's a little bit of guilt. First, there's like that, like, oh, yeah, I do want to help them, right? And then like the fact that like I have that knowledge, it would be so easy for me. The thing is, it wouldn't be because there's only that many slices yeah. that I have and I'm already giving them away in a way. Yeah. So for me, it's, I will still be like, okay, well, this is how you do it, but I won't go necessarily and do it. And before it was like, okay, let me do this for you. Yeah. Yeah. It was doing another thing, which was like, let me catch a fish for you and I won't teach you to fish. And yeah, now I'm like, yeah. let me teach you to fish, but I won't go catch a fish for you because I have other things. So that's how I'm like, this is actually benefiting them. My, my, my thing where I'm like, because culturally, like, you're not a good person. Why are you not helping people when you know, right? It's like, no, this is self-preservation. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I like that. It's very important. Um, yeah. To teach other people how to fish. And I think that is actually a lesson that I personally learned being a coach as well. Because sometimes you're so eager to help the person change or heal. But ultimately, everybody needs to take responsibility for their own journey. You can really only give them the tools. Yes. Yeah. Yes. One of my coaches said, you can only show them. You can't make them see. Yeah. And it just stayed with me. I'm like, yeah, my job is to show and it's, if they see it or they don't see it or when they see it or how long it's going to take before they see it, I can't, like, I have um, somebody who I know is um, totally opposite 
like a, a weight loss coach. And I'm like, well, think about it. Being a weight loss coach, what is she going to do? She's not going to force feed them specific food, right? Like it literally really sunk in for me when it's like, no, this is the same thing. It's not your responsibility like to make sure that like they, they're doing it and they're getting it and understanding it. Your responsibility as a coach is to show them. And that's all you can do. Be there and show a perspective or show them their mind or show them, yeah. you know, teach them something new, teach them how to yeah. fish, share a tool. But yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's a little coachy now. <laughs> we got coachy. I love it. So, um, what did I want to ask you? What do you love about being from Malaysia? What is something that you like kind of like, I'm so happy that I grew up there because this one thing is just, you know, a bonus in my life. That is a very good question. I'm not sure. Well, I like the food, as you say. Malaysian food is very good, according to me. <laughs> um, that's probably the biggest part that I miss. Um, but in terms of my childhood growing up there, one thing I probably, I really value is there was a period in time where I was allowed to free roam. Um, like as a kid, I just like go down to the park and just hang out with my friends and we'd actually get up to some no good, you know, and um, I was given the freedom to do that, which was nice. I feel like that's, yeah. Um, I think it's partly because in contrast to other parts of my childhood where I didn't really get the freedom to be myself and to really like free play and do whatever I wanted. Yeah. It kind of reminds me a little bit of like when you think about um, when you think about people talk about village children, you know, how they like just find their own game. They would just roam around. Yeah, it was a little bit like that for me, I think. So that was fun. <laughs> yeah, we had that too. We had yeah. that too growing up. And it's something that I, that we went this summer with my kids and kids still do that. Yeah. Back home. Like, you know, they're they're not within the, in their city, but like if you're outside of like even within the city at certain age, they let them roam mm. free. Um yeah. they let them go buy ice cream by themselves. They let them go mm. buy to the store by themselves. They let, here you can't first it's not feasible in big places. And second, safety wise, you just don't do that. But yeah. yeah. In smaller places it's easier because everybody basically knows everybody mm, and it's yeah. just safer yeah yeah but I think that is a nice part of childhood for me like yeah. it sounds yeah. like fun. yeah it's familiar <laughs> I'm like I know, I know we used to like after the war play in this like under the street and that was like the house that it had floors and we had like um plates were like these uh, little stones that were flat that we found and then like when I went back home my friends were telling me remember how this was like our pineapple and like we literally had different flowers represent different foods and we would cook and we would play and you know we really loved it we did not have toys after the war but we had so much fun yeah 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 that's right like we would just basically create our own games out of whatever we had yeah it's the best growing up I think <laughs> yeah I, I that's how I think now what do you love about uh what you got by living in Australia by being an immigrant different perspective mm. um I do feel like I do feel like having lived in different countries is it's actually a really valuable thing. Like you get different perspective. You realize that life isn't always like this. It isn't, and this is not the only way, you know, um, to live, to parent, to, yeah. Like 
yeah the lifestyle you have etc um i find that that can be taken for granted by a lot of people who have not lived in multiple countries um yeah and i think it actually keeps it actually helps me stay open-minded to be honest um i feel like i'm more open-minded to accepting the different cultures like you know how you said earlier um being immigrant and um like how a lot of us grew up with yelling and being spanked and all that i do find that sometimes if you were to um speak to say an australian therapist or coach who have not been exposed to that that can be a very daunting thing like there there it can be received with quite a bit of judgment and quite a bit of like oh my god that happened to you kind of look where else i think for people who have been through it you know that it is somewhat normal i mean i'm not saying it's healthy but it it was very much part of life you know um and i've also had like people come to me um asians who say that they don't feel understood when they share this sort of things with you know um people who have not been through it or who have not been exposed to this kind of culture um yeah so i think i think that's what i that's something valuable i feel i got from having different experiences you know growing up in a different culture yeah and this brings me back to something that's like i'm like oh this is going to bring tears back but it's like a realization that hit me as you spoke um it's like in neither of those cultures or those perspectives is good or bad there's no moral value to it it's just that we add the judgment and the shame ourselves so we make one or the other wrong yeah and one or the other morally right and it's very like ah. and yeah you know, it's like oh look it's just they do parenting differently yeah it's I a very think, weird realization yeah like i think it's very it's less it's pointless to be judgmental like at this point i think what's helpful is we should just all accept our past like that is unfortunately the experience like yeah like we know now that it has done some damage to a certain extent but we can really only learn from the past and try to be different from here on like there is no point being judgmental or shaming us for you know our cultural past or experiences because i think one of the other issues is when there's shame and judgment it just prevents people from coming forward to seek help yeah yeah like i personally find it quite pointless to be judgmental yeah. about that sort of thing yeah and talking about it which really was hard for me but it's like if i talk about it it's going to make it i don't want to make it okay for somebody but it's yeah. going to make it okay that they understand that they're not the only person that feels a little bit insane by all of this right like maybe and and it's kind of like when you bring the shame to light it 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 dissipates a little bit it goes away a little bit so it's beneficial that when it's like hey it's not this is happening to me and we're never ever alone on this planet in experiencing anything we might have a stack of different experiences and that's us that's like our intersectionality what i learned like yeah. all those things all those labels all those oppression systems we've gone through it's like that's how like if you had a sheet of paper and you plotted each experience we would have each one of us our own different little graph yeah it looks differently the fact is a lot of them if you overlap them they overlap a lot of us have the yeah. same experiences even if they were all over the world yeah experience a lot of same things we're never alone in it yes yes for sure yeah i want to end this with one more question that i've never asked before but Now I'm like why did I never ask that before? <laughs> I'm like okay, as a woman, what were the messages 
we already know what messages you got from Malaysia, but what are some messages that you receive in Australia being a woman, being a woman? Um, I can only speak from my experience being like, I came here in my mid twenties. Um, yeah. The messages, I wanna say that there's a lot of pressure to be the perfect mom. Um, and also to be like a woman that has it all or does it all, you know, you know, in terms of like career, being a mom, being a great mom, all that. I just feel like there's a lot of very idealistic pressure like that. Um, yeah, from a parenting front and from a career front. Yeah. Wow, that's really good. Um, and doesn't it, isn't it insane that it's like, you kind of need to be a little bit superhuman to accomplish all that perfectly, but okay, standards are not realistic. Yes, for sure. I actually find that that's way more here than it is back home in Malaysia. Um, I think because in Malaysia, people like labor is a lot cheaper. So people hire help um, quite easily. And so getting help to raise their kids is not um, something that people judge you for. It's just so normal. Where else here is the complete opposite. Uh, people are like, um, you shouldn't hire help. You should do it all yourself, you know, like, <laughs> um, and you should be able to do it. <laughs> so yeah. I, there's a lot of that kind of unrealistic pressure, I feel. And there's a bit of, I've also heard some mom shaming and I don't know that, to be honest, that did put me off from being a mom here a little bit for a while. Um, I'm like, why do people have this kind of expectations? Like, why must people perform to the standards? Like, yeah. That makes, yeah. No, it, and for me already, it's very interesting that we, us being women, growing up as girls, in my culture, it was never a question whether you're gonna be a mother. It's like, yes or no. That's something that I'm actually here. I notice women that are like, oh, whether I wanna be a mother or not. And then they're like thinking what they want. And for us, it's like, like that's not a question. That's like, that's just gonna happen. For me, it was like, I wanted to choose when it happened. So I did, but for a lot of women, they don't choose whether they wanna be mothers or not. It's just, this is just gonna happen. That's how like, you know, Basically, God created you to be a mother. Like, what? You're the one who, you know, yeah, humanity. <laughs> I think I'm evolve. That is the that is the same for my culture. Um, yeah, like you're just meant to be a mother. Like it was never a question, and a lot of people have accepted that that is just the next phase of life, kind of thing. But I also think that like a lot of people then enter this space without consciously thinking about it, whether they wanted it. And I feel like it actually does more damage in the sense that you become a parent when you're not ready to, and when you haven't put in the work. And I think, you know, we're just talking about how, like, if you want to parent consciously and you don't want to pass on your stuff to your kids, then you got to do it do all the work right all the healing work and I mean it's I feel it's a bit sad that people enter this space of life without realizing what you're in it for and and then they will unconsciously you know pass on the trauma partly well, because they're not be ready as well you're gonna pass on trauma no matter what yeah no matter what like like that's just part of human existence yeah yeah that's how our nervous system works the point of life is not for it to be perfect also that's mm -hmm. why it sounds like it's never supposed to be like 100 percent rainbows and daisies we're always happy that's not the point of it but like you're gonna but the thing is when you're entering consciously at least you think you've done all the work the slap you get once you realize that these little people yes. love buttons <laughs> yes. that were installed by your parents is like, what the yeah. heck is happening? Did they give them a memo being like, your mother is very annoyed by this, 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 this. Just press those buttons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's true. You can never 
like you would def- every kid will be traumatized unfortunately um but it's just the extent to it and um even as a parent like the healing what you do you probably cannot heal 100% you will probably never get there and but i think being conscious of it being conscious that in the moments that you're tr- being triggered you know being conscious to not put it onto your kids to emotionally um be responsible for your emotions like even just having that awareness itself i feel like that is valuable you know what i mean like at least you're taking responsibility for your part of and you, you can know. teach them how to process the emotion how to be mm. okay with the emotion because none of us were probably taught that it's okay yeah emotion, yeah that's right, right. that's They're right like being tolerant to their mistakes and not like we are we are moving on from what our parents did because we are doing things a little bit differently and evolution does not happen overnight for mm-hmm. anything it took us many 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 millennia to get here and you know here we are as humans and our brains are very slow evolving and i think that's part of the protection because if we just transformed left and right we'd probably die out by now <laughs> but yes i really am like this is such a powerful conversation and I'm really into talking about um, parenting and I love the way that you talk about trauma so I'm so happy that we had this conversation today do you have anything tips or anything that you want to kind of like sign off with tell the listeners about anything kind of that's just kind of like oh here's my thing no pressure <laughs> you know we tell our guests nothing and we're like just come chat with us no pressure <laughs> but really it's no pressure it's like something that you're like just want to share right now for the end basically I think what I want to share is that when it comes to trauma work the the goal is not just to be aware of your triggers and that sort of thing like that's just part of it but I think the real like gem the real goal that you're going to get to is actually to know your authentic self your core self because i think as we as we heal from trauma we are coming back to a place of wholeness in which case we are unlearning all the conditioning all the socialization all the trauma that we've taken on with throughout our life and which has actually caused us to become someone else someone um yeah someone who is not fully accepting of who we really are and i think yeah the the whole idea about trauma work is really about coming back to who you really are and to be fully accepting of who you are and that's where you get to self love and um really knowing that you are worthy as a person just by being a you know human and existing mm-hmm. and um I I mean I hope that people will do this work for that reason uh for the reason that they can reconnect with themselves. Yeah. It's very very empowering work and it's really um sometimes I'm like people are going to freak out sometimes how I speak about coaching and everything but the truth is you feel better. and yet at the same time you there's moments when you feel worse because there is that like uncomfortable period yes. where you don't know what is happening but the thing is the second you start getting into it you start understanding that it's not just you that it's probably normal and then the uncomfortable part comes from you can't change it right away like you're understanding things but yeah. the change can't just like be like switch on it takes time for the brain to rewire a little bit to add new yes. patterns to do all of that stuff and but that is yeah. but that itself the uncomfortable period that itself is a learning <coughs> that is your opportunity to learn to be kind and compassionate you know towards yourself and to be accepting of where you're at you know you don't have to get to the destination to love yourself you can start accepting yourself as you are right here right now well you're never going to accept yourself at the end if you don't love yourself too, <laughs> yeah, right it's exactly. like the journey will the destination will be like the journey was 
So if you're hating on yourself, you're not going to be there magically. There's no switch. There's no magical switch. It's just, That's right. And my God, I hated it. <laughs> like there was moments when I was like, what are they talking about? And in America, they say, have your own back. And I'm like, what does that even mean? But you know yes. what? I'll have to have Joyce again on after a while. <laughs> we get along so well. Um, thank you so much, Joyce. I don't want to you know, go over too much because we could talk about our favorite topic forever. Yeah. Thank you everybody to listening and we'll see you when we see you. Bye. Bye. Of course, we are grateful for all of you who listen. So we would like to ask you all, can you share us with all of your friends, family, social media acquaintances? We want more people to hear us basically in the next year. Love you all. Hear you next time.